Hi guys! Before we get into the season finale of this season of PhD Pending, just a little disclaimer that we were a tiny bit acoustically challenged for this recording. Something was wrong with my mic, there were issues with the Zoom, so please excuse the audio quality of this episode. We'll be back to normal um, for the new season, I promise you that. The content of the episode was just too good to not release it as it is. So even with the lower audio quality, um, I hope you enjoy this episode and let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of PhD Pending, the podcast for early career humanities scholars. My name is Anne Mahler and I have a PhD in English Literature. Together we will deep dive into different aspects of PhD life and explore what it really means to do a PhD in the humanities. Today's episode is the finale of our sixth season and to celebrate I have invited the three amazing scholars onto the show to discuss postdocs with us. And before we get a small bit deeper into what a postdoc is and all that good stuff, let's introduce our guests and our roundtable discussion. I'm going to start with you, Alva, if you want to introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. So my name is Alva McDade um, and I am just finishing my uh, second postdoc at University College Cork. I did my undergraduate actually at UCC um, more years ago than I care to mention. Um, and I did a master's in Trinity in Dublin. And then I went gallivanting for a while and I wound up doing a PhD in New Zealand um, at the University of Otago down there. And I graduated from there in 2015 um, with my project on contemporary Irish poetry and migration. Um, and since 2015, I've been postdocing, research assistanting, short term contracting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm back in UCC. Um, some 10 years after I, I left uh, the first time around. So that's where I am at the moment. Amazing stuff. What's your research generally on? Uh, well, my research generally is kind of on contemporary Irish studies. Um, I'm really, I suppose I'm really interested in migration. It's my kind of my foundational research interest. Um, my current project is on conflict and women's writing um, in early 20th century Ireland. And my new project, my next project, is going to be on global conflict and, and post-colonial writing. And so I'm kind of merging those, those interests together. So exciting. I can't wait to get more into that. And I saw you present once at a conference in UCC and I thought just your research was really, really fascinating. Is there anything else that you would like to do outside of being a precarious academic? be a non-precarious academic number one um, in the absence of that option um, I've always had a really weird interest in transport planning despite having absolutely no engineering skills but I just really like um, mostly I like complaining about how transport is poorly planned and envisaged so that's my 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 weird little quirk and that's that's a little side note the Irish public transport is shocking it's just so bad so I'm not surprised you have loads <laughs> to complain about <laughs> Thanks very much, Alva. Our second guest is Louise Benson-James. Louise, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I'm Louise Benson-James. I, um, I grew up in Bristol in the southwest of England. Uh, I did my undergraduate at Sheffield. I did my master's at Cardiff and I ended up back at Bristol for my PhD. Um, that was on hysteria and nervous disorder in women's writing and in medical texts. Um, it sort of spanned Victorian through to contemporary. So it was an English literature PhD, but I suppose I'd place myself more in um, the field of literature and medicine or medical humanities. My, um, my current project, I'm based at Ghent University in Belgium on a two-year Marie Curie postdoc, um, which is my first postdoc and my project looks at internal organs in women's fiction and, uh, and medicine, late 19th to early 20th century. So yeah, that's me. I think that's amazing. I think there's like a funky overlap because Louise and I know each other through a friend that I made during the masters at Bristol, who, was, who did her PhD at Cardiff and one of her colleagues knows you, but also, I think I studied in one of the first courses for MA that they did at Bristol um, for the English for the English MA um, in medical yes, humanities. Yeah, yeah. 
So I feel like that I'm sure maybe we ran into each other and we didn't know each other back in the day, you know? (laughs) So that's super exciting. Thank you very much, Louise. And our last, but by no means least guest is Jay. Jay, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you at the moment? Where are we catching you? And yeah. Hi, uh, so I'm Jay Shalott. I am a an incoming assistant professor of English at Ursinus College. I did my undergrad and my master's at Georgia State University in Atlanta. Uh, that's where I'm from. Um, and then I did my PhD at UNC Greensboro um, and just graduated like two weeks ago. So like literally two weeks ago. So thank you. It feels very, it's still, nothing has hit me yet. Um, so it's, it's a little strange, but um, everyone keeps telling me congratulations or calling me Dr. Shalott. And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking to. Um, but um, I don't have a postdoc. I'm the kind of anomaly on here. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this uh, in our conversation later, but I have a tenure track job at, um, at a college uh, and I yeah I guess that's just how my cards played out and I'm happy to talk more about it I'm excited to learn more about the postdoc stuff too because that is a part of um, academia I'm really kind of I know about but not as in-depth as I'd like to. Jay is the rare unicorn, the rare academic <laughs> unicorn who got tenure straight out of a PhD. Tenure, tenure track, yeah. So I oh. have the tenure track job, yeah. So I have six years before I get, uh, I'm up for tenure, which means I got to write enough. my book. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So we're here today to talk about postdocs and basically, or more or less the time after the PhD where we decide, okay, do we want to stay in academia? What kind of options do we have? Um, a postdoc is one of the more structured ways to get into it. Jay is here to give us the American view on things because I don't think you guys have a postdoc, but it's still really interesting to get into, okay, so what does life after the PhD look like if we want to pursue um, academia further? I looked this up on Wikipedia and there is actually a definition, so I'm going to quote this now because every good <laughs> academic starts their research on, academia, on, on Wikipedia. So it refers to the time after the PhD, when you continue your research in a formal way, either on your existing PhD thesis uh, to get it ready for publication or on an entirely new project. And there's usually teaching involved as well. And these programs are usually funded. Um, I'm sure we'll add loads to this definition. Um, And so let's dive into some of the first question to set the scene a small bit in context. So first question in general just for everyone like why do you want to stay in academia and uh, what were kind of the options for you at the time Louise if you want to get us started yeah sure um I guess I just loved researching and writing my PhD um both the topic itself and I loved all the associated activities I loved going to conferences um and it really after because I I worked for a bit in you know the real world uh, before (laughs) returning to study uh, to do my master's and so doing a PhD sort of felt like I was living my best life Um, (laughs) especially because there was uh, a lovely supportive group of PhD students at at Bristol in the arts and humanities faculty Um, so it felt like a a really uh, social and supportive place to be Um, so that encouraged me to sort of think think about a future career in academia. I was then a lecturer at Bristol for 11 months. Uh, I was covering someone who was on maternity leave. So that was full time and it was teaching only and it was incredibly intense and it was over during COVID as well. So um, it was wonderful in many ways. It was really good experience, um, but it's a dream to just be focusing on my my own research now, (laughs) Um, at least for a little while. Um, And I guess just in general, I left the PhD wanting to do more. Um, I thought there was there was more I wanted to read and explore and discover and write about. Sorry, I just had a question. Does your postdoc like ask you to teach? Do you have that option or is it just solely research? I don't have to. So Ghent University offered me teaching. They said, do you want to teach a course? And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> because after after an intensive, you know, year as a lecturer, almost a year as a lecturer, I just want a break. Um, so I am supervising some dissertations, just a handful. And that's really nice. It's sort of low stress, um, mm-hmm. you know, not, not too much commitment. Um, 
but otherwise it's really nice to just just focus on the research for a couple of years yeah and just in terms of the different options that you had so obviously you had you know a teaching job before that and all of that so what made you decide that the postdoc is or what what, what yeah what were the the characteristics of a postdoc that made you want to do the postdoc over another six months contract yeah because <laughs> we well, love those <laughs> actually i guess my answer to this isn't very professionally minded in many ways because my starting point was more more about lifestyle i, I guess i I really just wanted to move to Europe. I wanted to go to Europe, live in Europe, work in Europe. And I wasn't even that fussy about doing that in academia at the time. Um, so I began sort of randomly looking for universities um, with a sort of English literature department or an English humanities department um, and potential supervisors who fit with my research interests, contacting them. But it was sort of very ad hoc. Um, and alongside that, I was looking into viable funding bodies. Um, so it was it was more about making the European dream happen rather than necessarily I have to p pursue academia now and this is the only thing I want to do. Um, and I guess that's the way it happens for a lot of people. You, it's always a balance between what you want out of life and whether academia can give you opportunities for that or actually limit mm. your opportunities for that um so it just worked out for me for the time being but you know as a precariously employed academic who knows how long I can continue that um but yeah it's 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 great for the time being um postdocs are also very generous usually so it's uh it's good to be on a good salary for a couple of years even if then I might be out on my ear at the end of it <laughs> And just to throw the ball over to Jay, just tell us a bit more about the American system because I went into this thinking, oh, there are postdocs or some kind of structured programs coming out of the PhD in the States. But obviously your guys' PhD is a way longer than some of the English speaking European ones, right? Ours are three years or four years and you guys with comps and all of that, mm -hmm. it can stretch up until, I don't know, like eight years or something. So is there like a general like structured program um akin to the postdoc or and obviously then tell us who oh, you got the tenure track asking for so a friend we yeah <laughs> we have we have postdocs here um and they are um similar to what y'all have been describing and they um are very structured in the sense that they offer pretty good funding a lot of the times uh some of the times not great funding but um, funding and then you have the opportunity to research and teach or research or teach right so those those are different options that are um, viable and a lot of people go that path um, so <clears throat> the other way that they so I guess I could start with like what the PhD structured here is right like it's a like four to five years is around around the time of funding, the funding schedule, or what, what do you call it? Funding timelines that they usually give, universities usually give. Most people go to five or even six or seven years uh, because we do have to take courses and then exams and then rewrite the dissertation and then uh, defend and go on the market. Um, but I um, just like the way that they kind of encourage us to do it, at least my advisors, and now, of course, I want to be very clear here that every school has something very different. Um, my advisors in my university suggested that I apply to postdocs and tenure track jobs at the same time. That was a lot of work because they all require different stuff, but it ended up uh, working in my favor because at the end of my application season or whatever, I got um, two postdoc interviews and uh, I think three tenure track interviews. So I was able to kind of put a lot of um, eggs in my basket and just send them off. And so I got a lot of different hits uh, because I did apply to different stuff. Um, well, I, I'm blanking on the other question that you asked me. Oh, why I want to uh, stay in academia. I love to teach. Um, I was really, really, really lucky to be in a PhD program that let me teach from the beginning of my program to the end. So I taught 19 classes at UNCG. All I was able to create myself, it was completely 
Um, up to me, I was instructor of record. It was awesome. I got really good teaching experience, teaching my field, um, and teaching really great students, a diverse body of students. So that really helped me on the job market because I was able to kind of pair my research to my uh, teaching. That said, I absolutely love researching. There's nothing more fun to me than, and this is probably saying a lot about me, uh, but I love just sitting down over there at my desk and nerding out with a book and trying to figure out what is it making, what's making it work, right? Like how is the granular so stuff speaking to the macro stuff, all these different connections I love kind of exploring. And um, I was able to pair that in my, I'm able to pair that in my teaching and then take that to my new job. So when I was doing applications for tenure track stuff um, in particular, I kept in mind those skills that I developed over the course of those pedagogical skills and research skills and how um, over the span of my PhD, those that I developed and how they can speak to what tenure track life is going to be. Um, so, yeah, the thing about not having a postdoc, though, is like I don't have that structured time to work on my book alone. Um, I would love that. Um, I think any academic would or anybody who loves researching would love just unstructured time to work on their stuff, but, uh, or structured time, excuse me. Um, but we, I, I don't have that. I have to teach and do all these other, uh, professional stuff at the same time while, um, writing my book. So it's a, there's a gives and takes. That was such a rambly answer. I'm so sorry. No, no, it, it makes all sense. And, uh, so just to clarify just for me, um, so the American postdoc then is fairly similar to the European postdoc in that it gives you a chance to work on your research that either was your right. PhD or a new, new project to write a monograph, is it? Yeah. So more like um, it gives you the space to do that and the yeah. funding. Oh, that's more similar than I thought it would be. Yeah, Amazing. <laughs> when y'all were all explaining your, your postdocs, I just kind of was like, yeah, I know X, Y, and Z person at X, Y, and Z school that have this same situation or are still like, and of course, like I did get offers for postdocs that like were just like that. I took the tenure yeah. track one because it was more like secure financially and like yeah. I don't have to worry about it later on. Amazing. And Alva, you are on your second postdoc, so you must really love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose like Louise, I took a, a break for a few years after my master's um, and you know, I liked the real world, you know, don't get me wrong, but I was, I was, I felt much more secure back um, doing, doing my, my PhD. Um, and just like, I think what really drew me to it was that I, you know, I, I like it, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but I really loved research and I loved yeah. doing my master's dissertation. Like that actually really, you know, gave me that little like hint of like, oh, this is a really, you know, this is exciting and it's invigorating and you can create new knowledge. And I think that's, what keeps me in in the research game really is is being drawn to the capacity to change the way we think, you know, mm -hmm. as you know, scholarly about, you know, about books and about what we read, but more broadly than about our culture and about our culture, how our culture interacts um, and how it how it's influenced and what it influences as well. Um, so I was, yeah, so I did my PhD and then like, you know, I like postdocs, they're brilliant, but they're really bloody hard to get, like, you know, so it's, you know, in many ways, it's not so much like that I chose a postdoc, but I, you know, I was fortunate enough to manage to secure the funding for a postdoc, um, which is, you know, certainly no, no, no particular reflection on my own academic scholarship in any way. It's a total, right. it's a, you know, it's a crapshoot. It's a, it's the look of the draw, the dice rolls with your reviewers or whatever. And I know loads of people, who have projects that are much more, you know, intellectually rigorous and much more ambitious, et cetera, who didn't get funding, you know, for projects that were really worthwhile. Um, but my, like my first postdoc is an IORC. No, sorry. My first postdoc was a small funding bursary in, a, in, at the University of Liverpool. And I got that in 2017. So I had been two years out from my PhD like I graduated at the end of 2015 um, and those are kind of my lost years like when I look back to all the jobs that I did you know and I had everything from like you know an hour of teaching here to you know like invigilating exams to you know working in like promotions you know just anything to try and scrabble together and um, just enough to live mm -hmm. um, and I worked on my book in that yeah. time as well 
and I suppose that maybe gave me gave me and I was really fortunate because I had you know I had a partner who who was full-time employed and you know I didn't have the kind maybe the extent of the financial worries that I might have had um were I on my own um you know and I and I do think that like academia it weeds out people that have any kind of vulnerabilities you know right. because if you have any responsibilities yeah. of any description you just can't like there's no way I, I vividly remember like I held on to a 20 pound note in my wallet for like two months because I was like I can't spend that because when that's gone that's the end yeah. of my money like I don't have any more yeah. money yeah. um but but so then I was really fortunate that I managed to get a short-term postdoc um which was you know it was funded I think the funding was like 12k £12,000 um, for the year. So it was not a huge amount of money and it certainly wouldn't have kept me alive if I didn't have support. Yeah. Um, but that then was the seed funding that I was able to use to develop the project that then got the big funding bursary, oh, you know. Um, okay. uh-huh. So that pro- like that early project developed into my IRC project, which is, you know, the Irish Research Council, which is the kind of the main funding body in Ireland. Um, so I was able then to get a two-year postdoc for, th- for that. Um, and that was like, you know, Louise, like yourself, like when you get that offer of the two years and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is forever. It's never mm-hmm. going to end. I'm going to get a salary, you know, <laughs> all through the year in the summer and everything. Um, you know, so that so that like that's the real like the the buzz of of the post. But of course, then once you start it, you're like, mm, well, actually, I need to keep looking for right. new jobs. I need to apply yeah. for my next funding project, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's it's just it's a roller coaster you know um and you go from like oh great I've gotten this to the next thing you apply for and you don't get that one and then you're like I've just wasted two months like putting in this application that's not come through um so I don't know I mean you I'm sure you guys have similar experiences of like the application process which is just endless that was literally the worst I hate are we allowed to curse on here oh yeah of course yeah go ahead yeah I fucking hated applications. I thought it was awful. <laughs> the waiting was the worst part. Anticipating, checking my email, like I was a neurotic, like, oh, and then that would give me anxiety because I would always like, it was just miserable. And I will say that the postdoc applications were way harder to me than the tenure track ones because they required so much more stuff. And like, it was always, I don't know. It just felt really like, like tokenizing sometimes with some of the documents that postdocs and like tenure track jobs require. And that shit really sucks as a person of color who's already like, I've already been marginalized in a lot of different capacities in academia, but then you're doing these applications and you're like, okay, at least we're all in it together. And then, then bam, there's that shit. That's like, write a diversity statement that makes you different. And you're like, come on. I like (laughs) Jesus. Uh, anyway. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to say that because I completely understand the frustration of applications. And, like, it's never-ending. You send one and you're like, now I got to do the next one. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about the Marie Curie application yeah. process. Same, please. because that is very prestigious. Right. So yeah. <laughs> tell us how you got the super prestigious funding, <laughs> Louise. <laughs> well, uh <laughs> I was very lucky in that um, Ghent University ran an absolutely fantastic masterclass on how to apply for the Marie Curie. So they talked you through the entire application document. It's a sort of 10 page document. And actually only about half of it is really about even less than that is about your project and your idea. So much more of it is about it's the idea of the funding is to create um, mobility research mobility so it's about moving around um it's about what you can give to the university and what they can give to you it's about an exchange of ideas those sorts of things so Ghent the masterclass I honestly could not have got this funding without it because it just demystified the whole thing it it was about subtle tweaks in your phrasing in the application the things that they were looking for that they wanted you to say um and actually yeah a small um part of it is obviously about the project itself um but the nice thing about the Marie Curie is that it's a paper application there's no interview which is you know which is really great um but it's a maximum of two-year funding whereas some other postdocs are yeah three-year four-year um but yeah it's it's good it's sort of big you know European funding body um rather than a smaller um national or even university level um funding it's yeah it's competitive um i think 
you, you have to get marked on a certain percentage in order to be um, in the running. Um, and I think even people with, say, 90% might not actually get awarded any funding. It's, you know, it's quite harsh. But um, yeah, I have I have no idea why I was so successful, apart from the fact of the uh, the masterclass that Ghent ran. Um, and I suppose having having a quirky idea also helps <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> How many people got the postdoc? I'm not sure because it's divided into different categories. So oh, okay. it's non-discipline specific funding. So you mm-hmm. you, you know you can apply for it. Anything, science, engineering, maths, um, physics, you know, anything. And then arts and humanities and social science uh, have their own sort of category. And then there's a certain percentage of those that get awarded funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say 17% the year that I applied, something like that, within that category, within the social sciences and humanities. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I might have misremembered that. Quick question just for my own understanding because, and Alva, you can back me up on this. Uh, so for the IRC, Irish Research Council, and for everyone who's not Irish, um, this is the funding body that is responsible for traumatizing about 99.9% of every PhD and postdoc in Ireland. Can you tell I applied twice and didn't get it twice? <laughs> so the way I understood it is that so there's two options for postdocs over here and that is the one year one and the two year one and the one year one basically the idea is that you take your phd thesis and it gives you one extra year to basically rewrite it for publication as a monograph and the two year one would be to write up an entirely new monograph but now i'm getting the vibes that they can be even longer than that postdocs in general in america they can in Ireland or elsewhere? In in America they can, in Ireland... Mm-hmm. Uh, in Ireland, the IRC can only be two years. The IRC right. postdoctoral fund can only be two years. Um, but there are other, there are emerging, so I don't know if you've... There's been a new one announced recently, SFI IRC Pathways Programme, which is a postdoctoral programme, um, and that's a four-year programme. That's proposed oh. to be a four-year programme. Um, but again, I, I you know, it appears that it's for people who are a little bit further down the line um, you know, with an assumption that you would have some some postdoctoral experience under your belt already. So I'm like, how many years do they want us to be postdocs for? Like literally forever, you know? Yeah, that's one other thing that I've I'm noticing is like here it's usually just like one postdoc and then you go on to another lectureship or a tenure track job or something or I I I can't think of anybody who's had more than one postdoc in America. Um mm-hmm. And that's interesting. I mean, I guess that's helpful too. And I'm, am I right in saying that like y'all are able to use the two years to work on your pre-existing thesis or does it have to be an entirely new project now? Well, I think the sort of the unspoken fact is that you apply with a new project, but you actually spend a lot of the time writing up your oh, PhD yeah. into a monograph yeah. and then you move on to a senior postdoc and you spend most of that finishing off your junior postdoc project and it's sort of you're always playing catch-up but you always have to be thinking about the next big idea right Um, yeah yeah I think in um with the IRC and Anne you you probably know this as well that like it has changed quite a lot in recent years that it used to be the case that people would get it coming out quite early you know that you would come out from your PhD and you would get it in within a year or two um Whereas now it appears in the last couple of years that really the standards have just just escalated, mm-hmm. you know, and the expectations for what people have upon applying for it, particularly for the two year postdoc, like you have to have a monograph now, like there's no doubt about it. You like, you know, it's highly unusual that you wouldn't already have a monograph in place. You know, most people have pre-existing funding in place, you know, have undertaken subsequent research and. Um, Elsewhere, you know, in the UK, um, mostly, you would have to have a good fund, a good record of publications and articles and chapters and that. So really, I mean, the inflation of expectation and, and qualification is, 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 is terrifying, actually, you know, because the people who are who are getting the postdocs are really far advanced. And a number of years ago, they would be well into their permanent jobs, you know, and, and, and advancing along their career, whereas now people are, are still stuck at the postdoc stage. I I'm sorry for the million questions. I just think it's very fascinating and I'm trying to draw connections. And one of the reasons why it's so competitive here for tenure track jobs and postdocs is because of the absurd 
expectations, right? Like you've got people who are finishing with, uh, finishing their PhD with like 10 articles or like something absurd, right? Like there's just always, the expectations are getting higher and higher. And for us, it's because there's just so many people applying to the jobs. Is that why, would you say that's why Ireland and like parts of Europe are also having that problem? Yeah. It's partly, okay. there are lots and lots of, yeah, people who are coming out of their PhDs and looking for the next thing. But it's also that the funding is being more and more restricted, at least in the UK. I, I'm not sure about here, but, you know, the arts and humanities, are, it's all being really squeezed. They're closing loads of departments across I know. universities in England um, at the moment. So, yeah, it's just it's just the undervaluing of the subject and the, right. you know, the death of jobs as well as as well as all the, the graduates. And it's just that there's no, there's, there are no jobs. Like the, the tunnel mm-hmm. kind of ends, you know, you kind of keep going and then suddenly you realize like that there's no way out. <laughs> and then no, you're no, like, but yeah. I need to squeeze through that tiny little gap, please, mm-hmm. you know. But there's just no job. You know, I know in my own field, like there's been so few permanent jobs advertised, like since I've been on the market, um, even though we don't really use that terminology here. But like I, I, can, I can tell you there's been one permanent job advertised um, since 2000 and. 16 Jesus. in Irish study you know um so you know it's just it's wild <laughs> There's, it's no wonder we're all like scrambling for for the funding yeah. etc and then what I also found and I saw recently on Twitter there was quite a buzz about it I'm sure you've seen it as well is that especially when it comes to those funding applications and especially for to the big funding bodies that there's never any feedback yeah. to Ooh. your publication uh, to to your applications. So you know, yeah. even like I know that for my for my PhD funding applications, um, you just get told no, and that's it. You know, and there's yeah. no feedback. Oh, this is where you went wrong. This is where you missed points. You know, there's no there's no feedback whatsoever. And just in terms of the um, the applications, I find that quite disheartening because how are you supposed to do it yeah. any better right mm-hmm. um yeah so in terms of applications i'm still a bit traumatized from that whole process so um i'm swiftly gonna move on so <laughs> i thought that the irc gave they certainly used to give um feedback they don't give feedback anymore not for the phd ones so there was okay. a point system and you yeah. could tell you know from the sections. so the different sections have different yeah. kinds of points and then if you don't reach the four, 10 out of 10, you know, yeah. and then it calculates it up. And then the, for example, what Lee says, the 17% get it, but then obviously that yeah. number gets higher and higher. So if you right. don't have the, the 95 points out of the hundred points, you're out. If you don't have the 97 out of a hundred points yeah. and it just keeps going up and up and up and up, um, every year. So it's mental. And, um, just generally, would you have gotten the sense that postdocs application are even more competitive than phd applications to funding bodies yeah in america yeah louise is nodding as well so great stuff i think i think um there's often i mean (laughs) at at least at least in belgium when they hire a new um associate professor or someone is given a a new position they are allowed to hire a phd student or something so often often you get you get more and i noticed it in the uk as well like there are a lot more PhD positions advertised but also I guess with the PhDs some people do um, Mm self-fund whereas you wouldn't do that with a postdoc. One of the things that's really scary to me is like and I feel like it is now incumbent upon all finished PhDs especially in the humanities is like you are seeing a huge number of students PhD students entering a program and they're not understanding or they're not told or whatever that the market on the other side of this is actual absolute garbage like they don't realize that or some people are not told that and i feel like now that's one reason why we have more phd students than we have postdocs right like positions available the other thing is like it is incumbent upon us those who are on the other side of it whether we're in postdocs tenure track jobs whatever to tell the new phd students like hey cool, like, I'm glad you're doing the PhD. That's awesome. And I'm glad you're passionate about this. But at the end of this road, there is a serious precarious battle that you have to confront. Like, there's no way to ignore it. Um, And I just wish more people did that more kind of 
straightforwardly instead of like kind of dumping it on the grad student at the end of the at the end of writing this dissertation or this the we call it dissertations y'all call it thesis but uh at the end of writing this long ass project and be like oh yeah also this shit is really hard on the other side too um so yeah i just wish that we were more forthright with all that stuff and i do see a a change coming but yeah i think so and because i Mm-hmm. I suppose all of us who are who are coming through to that other side, you know, have got have experienced yeah. what it's like and have seen our peers, you know, and 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 experienced it ourselves. Um, and you know, I I I remember when I was beginning my PhD, I you know I was aware that there you know there was going to be no jobs anyway. And yet I'm somehow still hanging on. But you know, I think a good way to approach your PhD is to think about it as you know a fund. If somebody offered you a job for four years to do this, would you do this? You know, right. there's no guarantee that the job is going to be renewed or that you're going to get another job in the exact same field or the exact same company. But if you were interested enough to do this job for four years, um you know, then, then sure, go right. ahead and do it, but be positive that it may or may not, you know, lead to further employment in the field. Um, and that was, I actually found that very liberating to think of it like that, right. that someone is paying me to do this research for four years. If it doesn't work out, you know, afterwards, that's fine. But, I, you know, I'm grateful for the opportunity mm-hmm. to do this for that period. Um, but I do agree, Jay, that I think that there needs to be, and I think it's actually incumbent on institutions to embed the kind of training, the transferable skills, situation PhDs in, you know, with public facing skills um, so that you you can move yourself after the PhD and you can transition into those alt academic careers, you know, and it's more than just like a one off, you know, training and development workshop. Like it needs to be actual skills that you can speak about in an interview, you know, and that you can actually go into um, an office and do, you know, and, I, and when I was Sorry, I'm kind of going on a little bit, but what, I, I do remember when I came, when I finished my PhD and I was in England and I could not get work, like I just had nothing. Um, and I, I tried to go in to do this kind of like arts fundraising fellowship um, and I applied to do, you know, and I was quite interested in, thought that, you know, maybe working in in the arts and the creative you know, realm, that would be something that would be interesting and relevant. But I just wasn't, you know, I got through right. to like an interview stage, but I wasn't prepared for how to market myself and the skills that I had developed in, in my four years of training. I, I, I wasn't able to present that as viable to a potential employer, you know, and I, I just think that it's really important that graduate students are trained in those skills yeah. um, trained in the skills and also kind of educated around how to present yourself. You know, you're you're worthwhile. You've got such skills to offer, you know. Um, Because I think we come out at the end with this real anxiety about like, who am I? What can I do? No one will ever employ me. Um, You know, and and I think that's something that we need to talk about a little Mm -hmm. bit more. In that regard, I think academia is almost like a pyramid scheme because the idea is really what keeps the academic system going or what keeps universities going is cheap labor from graduate students, right? And in that regard, it's part of the culture to keep us down. I mean, I left academia and I've been very vocal about the fact that I could not see myself supporting a family or, you know, being or staying put in one place and still being in academia. Mm -hmm. So even though like it still breaks my heart every day to not be researching anymore um, or teaching anymore, it's a decision that I felt like I had to make because the system forced me to. Right. Um, Having said that, it is part of that, of the academic and early academic culture to be like, okay, so I'm not really worth anything. Right. My work is not really worth anything. And that's how universities run almost, right? Mm-hmm. They run on our cheap labor. And my question is basically if like the further you go on, then is the postdoc just an extension of that? And what what is it like compared, you know, in, in the States and then over here on the continent, on the islands, right? UK and Ireland. I mean, I fully agree. Like, we all should get paid more. We should all get paid more for sure. Uh, and of course, I, I don't have a, a postdoc, but those, like, some of the postdoc offers that I got, one of them was in Atlanta, which is where I'm from. It's home. Cool. I love it. I would love to move back there and be closer to my family. But to offer what they offered, and I'm going to, I just for the sake of that school and, like, my friends who have that postdoc, um, but for for having offering that much money, it's not you can't you can't live in Atlanta for that much. Like there's no way. Um, and so yeah, and and you're ex- expected to teach a ton, um, three classes a semester. Then so that's a three three load six a year, and then maybe summer. Um, you're getting paid little. 
um, certainly not livable in Atlanta anymore. Uh, maybe 10 years ago, but after the recession, absolutely not. Um, and then you're just like expected to do all kinds of service work, right? Professionalization. And on top of that, you're like, I want to research. Like that's what it's a postdoctoral research position. Yeah. I want to be able to write my book. Like you're giving me this structured time. Let me do it. But then all the same time, you're giving me all these like combating things that are precluding me from doing the work. Like, can you tell that I'm getting frustrated? Those who can't see are, I'm like going to dislocate my arm because I'm like, so gesticulating so hard, but, um, yeah, it's just really frustrating. So yeah, I, to answer your question very briefly, yes, it's an extension of like what we went through during the PhD. It's using our cheap labor because they know they can do it. I suppose I I agree with everything. Um, and <laughs> but I, I suppose I was, I've been thinking about this from a slightly different perspective, which is that if you want to continue in academia, you, you need to think really hard about whether it's going to fit how you see your life because right if you do want to settle down if you want to have a family if you you know what yeah if you want to put down roots anywhere actually the whole thing about doing a postdoc is that you can't you have to be prepared to just move anywhere and that's that goes for teaching positions too these like short-term teaching positions it's that thing of uprooting yourself Mm -hmm. and and that can have quite negative consequences um being prepared to do that every couple of years, which is very time consuming, very stressful, very expensive. Um, and yeah, so as insofar as, you know, we're all part of this system that just expects you to do that if you want to be successful, um, just, yeah, being able to move around. But I suppose I try and for myself, um, see it as, I don't know, using precarity to my advantage as much as I can, which, you know, it's, it's enabled me to, come over to Europe and yeah if I want Mm -hmm. to carry on sort of traveling around Europe and being a little bit flexible and movable then then that's going to be that's going to work but yeah it, it doesn't work for so many people you know if you do want to to settle down and have a family it just yeah so it's it is about figuring out what you want from life and whether academia can actually give you that yeah um and just on that note, um, I asked a couple of my PhD friends, or they knew that I was going to record with you guys and record the big postdoc extravaganza. Um, and one of the questions that they had was, do you guys know, I mean, Jay, obviously you turned down a couple of postdoc uh, opportunities because you got tenure track. Um, but the question that they had was, do you know anyone who has turned down a postdoc and what were the reasons for that? I assume for you, and you said it before, Jay, that for you it was because there's more security, obviously, in the tenure track and it's yeah. a longer contract. And, you know, like, it's just, it, it just seems like the the superior option, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of if that wasn't a, a possibility, if that wasn't an alternative, do you know anyone who's who didn't do a postdoc and why that was? Like what Louise was saying really quickly, like it's based on your life, where you are in your life and like what you need at that time, right? So I know people who are like, I got this awesome opportunity, but I've got a family here that I cannot uproot. That's not fair to me. It's not fair to them. And it's not like, it's not like the postdoc is this golden opportunity that's going to solve all my problems. You're still living in that precarity of like, Sure, financially, you may be stable for a year or two or whatever, but you're still in the back of your mind, that seedling that's planted that says, oh, wait, you got to go back on this process again is going to come back up. So I know a lot of people who, because of that significant life, uh, like where they are in their life, they make significant sacrifices and say, no, I don't think this is it for me. I know two people who've turned down um, a a postdoc. one had no they both actually had short-term lecturing positions at the time one was in like a three-year lecturing position and one was in you know kind of a rolling lecturing contract um i think for one of them it was the fact that the money for the irc is not particularly good like it's not it's not a a notably well in fact it's notably not well-funded postdoc they just increased it last year um, and it had been the same for like 10 years like they hadn't increased the, the wage um 
it's a little bit better now because they do have that the scale and you know they're kind of mapping it on to 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 to, to other costs or whatever and um, but one person turned it down because the, the the income wasn't good enough to to justify it for them and the second person they just took a look at their options they're like i've got this three-year post and i've got this offer like that's going to be over in two years this post might turn into something more um and they just decided to stick with the lecturing job and it, it did turn into a permanent job so they made the right choice at the time but it's a very difficult decision because mm -hmm. you know you're kind of fed this idea that the postdoc is is the prestige and that's the thing that you need you know in order to be you know shortlistable and employable for the interviews for the permanent jobs you need to have the postdocs but the flip side of that then is that you do go into those interviews and they want to see your teaching experience they want to see your administration experience they want to see your service um, and those things are can be a little bit difficult to to build up in this solitary postdoctoral experience, I think, unless you're cognizant of them from the get go and you're actively moving towards them, you know, and um, so I think a, a good mentor is really important in that instance as well to advise you about what you're going to need, you know, what you want your CV to look like at the other end of the postdoc and it's not just about the research like there's a whole lot more that you need to position yourself, you know, in, in an attractive way. Um, after the postdoc is over yeah I guess I, I don't know anyone that's turned down a postdoc but I find myself more and more now it's quite a big decision about whether to apply for a permanent job so I decided quite recently not to apply for a permanent job because in the very very tiny chance that I would have actually got it I, it would have been a really difficult decision and one that I felt it was like I know I should apply for all of these logical reasons but I do not want to so yeah there's there's a thing there about not applying for things um yeah and you know what's what's also interesting is uh, when i started my phd and there was a couple of people leaving there's a good bunch of phds leaving at the time and they were all talking about you know postdoc applications and starting their postdoc and postdoc being the natural progression that you kind of have to go through to then be you know in a position to apply for these other academic positions but what i'm getting from all of you guys is that it's not necessarily the thing, right? That it's not the be all end all right. to then put you in the position to become an academic um, and get tenure and, and all that good stuff. Is, am, am I getting the right vibe here? <laughs> yeah. Just to, so. just to burst, burst my own yeah. and everyone, everyone else's bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can build your profile without a postdoc yeah. for sure. Um, but I think it would take a lot of work to be it's not I don't think it's impossible and I do know people who've gotten permanent jobs without postdocs for sure and um, but they would have really like impeccable teaching records you know really really strong service records you know and would they would be distinctive in different ways um, and I think it's I, I think it, it, it's a long haul. I suppose people, we kind of hope that postdoc will be like the direct route to the permanent job. And um, there are other routes, I think. But I, again, like, like the same as the postdoc, it's it's hard, hard work and there's no guarantees. You know, we all want like, what's the formula? You know, tell me what I have to do and I'll do it. But there's no formula, you know, and, and uh, for being this far kind of post PhD and seeing my peers and the different routes that people have taken and who's gotten jobs and who hasn't gotten jobs and, you know the different points that people have that people have decided to leave um there's no you know there's no guarantee one way or the other you know i don't think well and it just kind of goes to prove that everybody has their own like this sounds so cliche and cheesy but like everyone has their own path and it, that's just like the way that it works and sometimes the postdoc is the way that people go and sometimes it's not and like yeah it's just all kind of a crapshoot sometimes which is sorry to be bleak but academia yeah. <laughs> the crapshoot that is academia yeah I think <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah the postdoc is not the only route in into academia and I mean it's 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 a good option short term because it's generally quite well paid and it gives you that time that you need to then build up your academic profile publish a lot um, become an, an attractive candidate you can make yourself as attractive a candidate as possible but then there's still no guarantees there's still absolutely no guarantees um yeah <laughs> i suppose 
since we're since we're coming towards the the end um of our discussion i just have a couple of like quick fire questions and maybe to make it a small bit more tangible as well for the listeners who are doing phds at the moment or people who are thinking about moving um on to a postdoc so my first question and jay maybe that doesn't apply necessarily to you but you can still give us maybe an idea of what's what's required what does the day-to-day look like so it's a monday morning you're doing your postdoc what do you do um i guess probably quite similar to that of a phd really um so as a literature scholar lots of reading uh read novels i trawl through archives to find old medical texts and periodicals and old adverts for patent medicines and those sorts of things and reading work by other scholars Um, At the moment, my main focus is to increase my publications. Uh, So I've sort of got several articles on the go. um, And I'm trying to turn my PhD into a monograph, of course. Um, I'm doing a lot of work swaps with friends at the moment. So I'll send them my draft of an article and read some of their PhD and we'll give each other feedback. Um, So yeah, as I said, I decided not to teach. So that's quite quite nice. But a few of my dissertation (laughs) students are... um, are finishing up at the moment so I've been giving them some feedback which is nice and I've also got involved in running the literary studies workshops at Ghent which is a sort of every month or so we have work in progress presentations where any PhD or ECR can present something they're working on and get feedback we also help help everyone workshop their postdoc applications and uh, <laughs> and then uh, we do mock interviews and we even this week we organized a two-day residential writing retreat in an abbey which was very nice um, so that's that's the day-to-day really is is yeah lo- lots of writing lots of research um, and getting involved in other um, things with the community of scholars really for me, I guess um, at this point, because I'm at the end now of the postdoc, it's the it's the wild, blind panic. <laughs> like, oh my god, the applications, uh, the interviews, you know, the, the what's next? When are the deadlines? Um, the same, but the same uh, as you, Louise. You know, it's, particularly at the beginning of my postdoc, it's just such a lovely time to just embed down into your project. Mm-hmm. You know, start building your new networks, um, you know, associating with, you know, particularly for me, because I was going into a new field um, you know, trying familiarizing yourself with that, a lot of reading and writing um, and, the you know, that lovely freedom that comes with being your own boss. Um, so, you know, that you can you can time your hours to work at what suits you. Mm-hmm. You can go for your run at lunch. You can go for your hike, you know, in the mid afternoon, whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, but now, you know, in the last kind of year or so, I've really been trying to just, you know, really beef up my CV. So I've been doing a lot of teaching. I've been doing, you know, kind of different things in different with different organizations to try and just just put that public facing stuff in place as well um, and and write and publish. So at the moment, I'm just I'm really in that space where I'm like, oh, my goodness, I've got so many balls in the air right now. Um and I suppose that's kind of one of the things about the postdoc, like the PhD is this beautiful, preserved, protected time um, where nothing will, you know, nothing needs, you need worry about nothing other than your actual dissertation. And um, whereas I feel like the postdoc is, is a slightly more chaotic kind of time with multiple competing uh, obligations, you know, um, but also I suppose I also have caring responsibilities during this postdoc that I didn't have when I did my PhD. So that has changed as well. Um, that, you know, it's it's not the same, you know, you're not quite the boss of yourself. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what my my day looks like. Panic, anxiety, guilt, <laughs> regret. <laughs> Is that what, what you're expecting from your tenure track? <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, I well, I every yeah, I guess like there's a lot happening with like where I am right now in between jobs. Like one of the things that's really shitty is that I'm not paid during the summer right now which is not the greatest. Um, so like even going out and hang out with my friends is anxiety inducing. Cause I'm like, well, do I want to spend this $15 to go hang out at a brewery? Um, or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. So there's that anxiety, but I am really enjoying this time in between, like right after, like in between time where I can, um, write and work. I'm kind of also beefing up my CV. I'm working on two articles at the same time, which is, not I don't advise that that's not the greatest um just because like everybody who's on the camera on the call can see that I keep scratching my eyes it's either a because I forgot to take my allergy pill and I can't remember 
or B, it's because I've been staring at my screen so much that I have now kind of just like need eye drops. Um, so anyway, I've been working on that and that's really fun. And I, it's been really good to just kind of like not have any other kind of responsibilities academia related just yet uh, until the tenure track job starts. So I've been really kind of reveling in that. At the same time, I know it's now high time for a break and I just want to like curl up with a novel that has nothing to do with my research on 9-11 um, because as you can imagine, that shit gets very depressing very quickly. So I just like want to curl up with a, I don't know, like an Austin novel again or uh, whatever, something good and whatever. So this time is weird for me, but it's, it's exciting. Um, and my everyday just kind of looks like what I've been doing is just wake up, research, go for a run and then read. So, sounds about right. <laughs> and yeah. to close the conversation off, um, if so, if someone, a PhD that you're supervising or if a PhD friend comes up to you and says, okay, so I'm finishing up my PhD, what are your recommendations from your perspective in terms of going on pursuing a postdoc, not pursuing a postdoc? What would your kind of, yeah, what would your recommendations be, Alva? Um, well, I suppose it's, this, it's what we've kind of all said is that it's kind of, you know, it's luck. It's not a reflection on your own, your own academic prowess or your own reputation or your own skills, you know, and, and for it, it absolutely cannot, you can't take it personally. Um, so that's the first thing that, you know, that it just because you don't get funded doesn't mean that you're not, you're not an excellent scholar. Um, for me, what, what really helped me, I was able to undertake a number of short term research Kind of positions you know research assistant things um assistantships um in the immediate aftermath of my phd and that really helped me just understand the process of researching more profoundly like you know how to envisage a project how to map out a project how to see a project through to completion um, and those were on things that were totally unrelated to my PhD. You know, they were on projects. One was about um, shipping routes to, to West Africa from Liverpool. And the other was the other was about uh, widows, war widows, um, which subsequently became my, my new field of research. But at the time, I had not, no, no interest in that area. Um, and that's, you know, building those networks with scholars and with people who are working in different fields is really, really educational. And it really it really does just help you, like, broaden your perspectives about what postdocing is um, and what you need to do in order to, to write a good postdoc um, application. And then the other thing that I would say is if you do have an idea or an institution that you want to be affiliated with, like the same as Louise has outlined for her institution, like UCC has been absolutely amazing in terms of writing applications, proofing applications, prepping, you know, giving you the vocabulary that you need. Um, and that can come from like individualized mentorship and reaching out to, to scholars in your field um, and then institutionalized men mentorship as well through your research office or your graduate school as well. So if you want to do it, I would say make those connections with people who know how it works, because we don't know how it works. Like you only know how it works after the fact, mm -hmm. you know, when you have gotten it or you haven't gotten yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, like the forms like um, the IRC form, as you say, is, is, is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> So get people to help you and reach out to people and ask them for your their su successful applications. People will share, you know, you like people yeah. are willing to share. Um, That's what and, I was going to say. on the generosity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, ask, ask people to look at um, their applications if they've been successful or even if they haven't. In fact, um, there was a great thread going around on Twitter recently where a lot of early career people were just saying, you know, I've had a successful Leverhulme, I will share my application with anyone. Mm -hmm. You know, I've shared my application, my Marie Curie with loads of people. Um, and I think just, yeah, it's the early career network is really supportive in general and uh, very happy to share resources because we all know how hard it is. So, um, so yeah, absolutely ask for help, ask for advice. Um, asked to see people's applications um, yeah that would be my main piece of advice I think I would also kind of yeah both of y'all wrote said what I was thinking is like it's not a reflection of you I had to like literally write that on a sticky note and put it on my computer because it was so easy to just take it so personally and it's not it's just like the shitty state of the fields right like it's just academia is I guess the buzzword for the day is crapshoot, right? Like it is a combination of luck and something else. Like it's some sort of higher power or whatever, like whatever that university or wherever you go has an, like a vacancy or something. So 
definitely remember that it's not a, it's not you, it's them. Um, and that making connections with people is really fruitful, but also asking for help is never a bad thing. I had to really come over, overcome my fear of asking for help. And the minute I did, I felt a way more relieved and B my applications got better. Like they just like were better because other people were looking at them and they were willing to help. So going ahead and asking them is going to be way better and joining communities like Twitter or meeting people at conferences or whatever, if you can afford to go, those are spaces where you can definitely kind of commiserate. Yeah. But also get that scholarly community where they're going to reach out and help you. Uh, and then of course the impetus there is that when somebody asks you for help, you have to help them too. Um, so it is a kind of like pay it forward type of thing, but it is, um, yeah, those are, that's my main takeaways and like the advice I would give to anybody applying this stuff. And again, we always say a PhD and just early career scholarism can be so isolating. So to have these yeah. networks and to know that you are part of a bigger community, you're not by yourself, you're not alone. And, um, a feeling like that, um, I think, and I keep saying, and I feel like every episode, that this is also part of the objective of the show to like bring awareness to the fact that you are not by yourself. We're all going through it together and right. let's help each other out. Um, I think it's one of the, the main things that we're trying to do here as well. And I think we achieved that today because I learned so much from you guys. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, be, let's close things off by saying, is there anything that you haven't mentioned yet? If yes, what? If no, that's fine. And where can people find you on the interwebs if they want to learn more about you? Louise, do you want to kick us off? <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything that I haven't said. Uh, one thing I suppose, you asked us the question, some advice that you'd give to your first year PhD self. And yes, um, thus I'm, 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 I'm aware we're going a small bit over time. So <laughs> we, we can, if, if people are interested, two things that I always ask guests usually is what is some advice that you would give your first year PhD self and what is your favorite productivity hack? Just because I am like really into productivity. So Luis, if you want to go ahead and do that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so I think advice for my first year PhD self was, was uh, always be attentive to maintaining a good work-life balance. Um, oh, yeah. notice, notice signs of burnout in yourself before it's too late. Never feel guilty about taking time out when you need to because you're more productive when you're rested and you can think clearly, more clearly and be more creative when you're relaxed. Um, so I wish someone had said that to me when I was a first year PhD student. Um, and in terms of my favorite PhD productivity hack, it's definitely structured writing retreats, like structured writing yeah. days with a group of people where you have blocks of focused writing, no distractions, no emails, no social media. And then you have um, long and proper breaks uh, where your brain switches off. And it's, it's just completely revelatory in terms of productivity. Amazing. And where, where can people find you? Oh, yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Lubri James, L-O-U-B-R-E-E-J-A-M-E-S. Thank you very much. Alva, how about yourself? Um, for me, uh, someone said to me towards the end of my PhD, finished is better than perfect. And I, I still like that. Like it, you know, it can be, it may one day be perfect, but finished is infinitely <laughs> preferable to perfect. Um, and also that if, also that it's a series of sprints. It's not a marathon, actually. You know, you don't have to always run at full speed. Like you can burst it for a 5K and then you can have a little rest. And then you can, you know, so you can train yourself up to those kind of the writing retreats or whatever. And um, so that those two things really worked for me during my PhD. Um, I need to take some of them back on board again because my <laughs> God, I need some productivity. <laughs> um and uh you can find me on twitter at my name i think i don't even know what my handle is um but yeah i think it's my name or mac data or something like that and i'm really happy to share anything um that anybody that anybody needs um or chat more informally with anybody afterwards too and we'll definitely pop all of the handles into the show notes so <laughs> no worries about that how about yourself jay uh I guess like the piece of advice to a first year, I wish somebody had told me to listen to my body because that was something that I seriously underestimated. Um, and now I have chronic dry eye and I have to scratch my eyeball in front of people every time. Um, so like <laughs> listen to your body, take the break, 
take a walk. Um, and if you're still in that, like, oh, I want to write, I still want to keep writing, take a note card and walk with, with it and like a piece of paper and a pen or whatever. That's what I do every time. Um, and I swear it sounds really stupid, but the sunshine really helps getting outside really helps. And just like being able to take a break from whatever it is you're doing academic, uh, and just doing something completely different. It'll make you feel way more invigorated and your ideas will start coming to you much faster and you'll find that your writing is better too. Um, so that's one piece. Um, my favorite productivity hack is uh, cooking Pomodoros, which a Pomodoro, as we might know, is like a 20 minute or whatever, like a set time, set timer that you, for writing. Um, but mine are um, related to food and drinks. So how long does it take me for my kettle to boil? Seven and a half minutes. So in that seven and a half minutes, I literally, this is so dumb, but I turn on the kettle, run to my desk, and then do a free writing session, and I'm supposed to be done when the kettle like clicks off. The other one that takes longer, if you're looking for a longer one, is put a whole box of pasta to boil. And by the time it's cooked, you'll have like 15 minutes of writing done. And, and if you do it on a low temperature and plop the lid on it, it's even better. You could easily knock out 20 minutes and then your reward is like, oh, I have pasta at the end of this. Dinner. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, that, I do that every day. <laughs> best thing ever also quite cool that you have a kettle because i know not oh. not a lot of people in the states Can own I kettles you, which that should change yeah. my life when i started my phd <laughs> i had never and i've been drinking this gross like keurig coffee which sorry if you want a sponsorship from them but like they uh, that i mean the 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 kettle and the pour over like y'all do coffee and tea right um so we do not do a great here. <laughs> and on that note, guys, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I learned so much and I'm sure we could have gone on and on and on and on and on. Um, I had tons of questions that I didn't even ask, uh, but we're already over time. So thank you so much um, for sharing your wisdom with me and with the listeners. And we'll link everyone's Twitter handles and all that good stuff in the show notes. Um, that was our season finale and that wraps up our sixth season. Um, we will see you again here for a new season in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at phdpenningpod or write me an email to phdpenningpod.gmail.com if you want more extra content during the break and early access to our new episodes, you can sign up to our Patreon on patreon.com slash phdpenningpod and support the show or donate on our Buy Me A Coffee page and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. This episode of PhD Pending was written and produced by me, Anne Mahler. Artwork by Jerome Kelleher. Support the show and rate us five stars in your favorite podcast app. You can also subscribe to our Patreon for exclusive bonus content, or if you prefer a once-off donation, head to our Buy Me A Coffee page. The links to both are in the show notes. You can find the show on Instagram and Twitter at phdpenningpod, or send an email to phdpenningpod at gmail.com.